0: Welcome to The Cove's Audio Articles, where you can listen to some of The Cove's best articles, rather than read them. This article is entitled, Smart Soldier, Four-Wheel Driving, by Scott Hyman. Aussies are renowned for their love of the beach, the barbecue, and the bush, and nothing reflects this fact more than the lists of best-selling cars that are published periodically by various motor magazines. In the top 10, there are typically four or five four-wheel drive utes, at least two four-wheel drive wagons, and a smattering of SUV all-wheel drives. Even in top 20 roll calls, there will commonly be around 10 to 12 dedicated four-wheel drive vehicles, as well as a number of urban SUVs. This reality is reflected every day in our local car parks and driveways. Just look around the barracks if you want further evidence. There's a reason for our fixation on rugged motor vehicles. Our bush is tough, and tough terrain is tough on vehicles. And while this fact may be made better in the military by the existence of recovery vehicles and a long logistics chain, we can't afford to become complacent. That's why difficult terrain is one of the conditional codes you'll find on the back of every ADF driver's license, but not everyone has it on the front. The reality is that on any given time, defense members are driving on rough terrain, whether that's on the range, on the back roads, or in developing countries where driving conditions are frequently dodgy. But not all members of defence have an ADF driver's licence. Indeed, there's no guarantee that any white fleet driver, whether military or civilian, has any form of training in four-wheel driving. Consider, for example, range control staff, exercise control, safety, umpires, environmental officers and contractors. And on operations, the situation is similar. Consider, for example, peacekeeping and humanitarian relief operations when defence commonly deploys a diverse range of civilian, contracted and service personnel in support of Australia's efforts. Four wheel driving skills aren't just for off road adventures and rock climbing. They're equally relevant on minor roads and in adverse weather conditions. And as an organization that values the health and well being of its members, whether at home or at work, these skills are amongst the things that ensure our people, including their families, come home safely. Indeed, if we plan to spend any serious time driving, we should all know, for example, how to control a slide, what to do in icy conditions, and how to drive on corrugations or on bulldust, including the importance of adjusting tyre pressures. It's all about traction. Training. Just because we own a four wheel drive at home doesn't mean we know how to use it competently. When we acquired our civilian driver's license, no one tested our ability to traverse dirt roads, travel in convoy, drive in mud, tow, or safely drive on sand. And we won't fill our knowledge gap by simply watching a bunch of television shows or YouTube videos on four wheel driving. Indeed, Many practices we see in the media are simply plain wrong, illegal, or dangerous. Regardless of whether we have an ADF license coded for difficult terrain or not, four-wheel driving skills are perishable. If neglected, any one of us can develop bad driving habits, complacency, or overconfidence. And these deficiencies can lead us to have a really bad day behind the wheel or worse. Study of reputable magazines or books may improve our theoretical knowledge of four-wheel driving, and there are plenty of publications available, including by accredited trainers. A good example is a manual for on and off-road travel four-wheel driving skills written by Vic Widman who's been delivering driver training since 1990, including to the AFP, SES, RFS, and Army units. Ultimately, however, watching and reading about four-wheel driving are poor substitutes for hands-on training under the watchful eye of a professional. That's why it's a great idea to send our people on accredited four-wheel driving courses conducted by civilian accredited agencies, regardless of whether they hold an ADF driver's license or not. Four-wheel driving skills are, after all, the ultimate form of defensive driving. Professional four-wheel drive courses range from two-day introductory offerings to specialist programs in remote area driving, advanced four-wheel driving, advanced recovery, and even towing courses. And because the training is accredited, it can be uploaded to PM Keys. Developing Good Habits When it comes down to it, safe four-wheel driving demands that a driver has well-honed situational awareness and self-awareness, supported by professional driving skills. A skilled driver will continually assess the road conditions and their own capacity to respond. To develop habits of professional four-wheel driving, the issues we need to routinely consider include What am I dealing with? What are the road conditions ahead? What is the weather forecast? How deep is the river crossing? How deep is the bog hole? Is my vehicle up for the task? What is the difference between the prepared fording depth and an unprepared fording depth of my vehicle? Do I need to deflate tires beforehand and can I reinflate them? Do I engage high range or low range? Do I engage diff lock? What gear should I use or prepare? Should I be here? Do I have to do this? Is there an alternate route? Am I about to create unnecessary damage to the environment? Am I simply going to make things harder for the next vehicle that comes along? What if? Do I really have the skills for this? Do I have recovery gear? Am I in comms range if the fit hits the shan? Case study confirmation. Over the years, the author, Scott, has dealt with incidents requiring the recovery of Land Rovers, G-Wagons, Unimogs, Aslabs, 40Ms, Land Cruisers, APCs, Humvees, and Hiluxes. Reflecting back on these episodes, they occurred for one or more of just a handful of reasons, because the driver didn't read the terrain correctly, didn't engage four-wheel drive, ignored convoy orders, or disobeyed a lawful general order by driving in a restricted area. It's worth sharing some of these examples because they show just how easily things can go wrong. Eat my dust. Scott recently conducted a fact-finding after a 40M ran off the road and into an erosion gully. Everyone was okay, but why did it happen? After the incident, he spent some time looking at the wheel tracks and picking up the odd bit of debris left behind. At first sight, there was no obvious explanation as to why the truck had crashed. The backtrack on the Townsville field training area looked nice enough. It ran straight, made a slight curve and then continued straight. So why did the vehicle's wheel tracks simply ignore the curve and instead drive straight into the erosion gully? Was the driver distracted and not looking where they were going? The answer soon presented itself when another convoy approached. As Scott watched, almost every vehicle only narrowly avoided the erosion gully. Why? Because they were too close to the vehicle in front of them. The bulldust being thrown up by the vehicles obscured pretty much everything. The situation was that each vehicle was eating the dust of the vehicle in front. Instead of maintaining a safe distance, no driver could see where they were going. They were all driving inside their own braking distance, and no one could stop effectively and safely if they would needed to. In these circumstances, an accident was bound to happen, and it did. Flat out. Depending on our location, range briefings may direct us not to drive on the coastal saline flats. Unfortunately, we're rarely told why. Consequently, people drive there anyway because they want to take advantage of a shortcut or simply because they fancy driving fast on flat open ground. While directions to avoid terrain may sound like an effort to take away our fun, the reality is far different. That's because some coastal saline flats comprise acid and sulfate soils. Common in many parts of the world, these types of soils are saturated with water, almost oxygen-free, and contain microscopic crystals of sulfide minerals. And there are two very good reasons not to drive on them. One, You'll get bogged and become a target, and that's not smart soldering. While the crust on the top of these soils can make them look dry, underneath it's a different matter. And two, while acid sulphate soils are safe and harmless while undisturbed, stir them up by digging them, driving through them, landing on them or getting bogged, and you'll generate a witch's brew. Once exposed, oxygen breaks down the minerals, creating sulphuric acid often below pH 2. This stuff can corrode concrete, iron, steel, and some aluminium alloys, not to mention causing skin and eye irritation. And it's not all about you. Just one bogging can generate high acidity levels in surrounding creeks and ponds, poisoning plants, and killing fish and other aquatic creatures if they're unable to escape. So... How good do you feel now about your little four-wheel driving adventure across a restricted area? Amphibious Assault When we conduct amphibious landings, progress will often be monitored by Safety ashore or the Beachmaster and Opposing Force, utilising White Fleet vehicles. In carrying out their activities, all elements will necessarily conduct sand driving. The basics for sand driving are simple. Use high range to keep momentum in a medium like sand that does not offer much traction. Low range produces too much power, so you'll simply dig in. Lower your tyre pressure to increase your footprint and thus increase traction. Drive as straight as possible and corner slowly and in a wider arc than normal. This is because if you corner too hard, your side walls will dig in. You'll inadvertently slow down and you'll get bogged. Modern cars have traction control and vehicle stability control. These functions apply the brakes without you knowing, so you need to turn them off. Otherwise, when they automatically activate in the sand, you'll end up digging in. While these basic principles of sand driving may be enough to help you out in straightforward conditions, there's a lot more to learn to be truly competent. For example, do you know? one? When, where and how to stop a vehicle without using the brakes when you're pointing down a slope. Two, where to drive on a beach. Avoid the wet sand because it will hide quicksand and prematurely rust the vehicle. Avoid sand that is too dry to reduce the chance of bogging. Situational awareness extends beyond taking care of your own safety and that of your vehicle. For example... Dundee Beach in the Northern Territory is sometimes used for amphibious landings and is a turtle nesting beach. Here, it's important to drive with care below the high tide mark or at least 20 metres from the base of the dunes away from where nests are most likely to be found. Driving over turtle nests compacts the sand resulting in one of two things. One, the hatchlings can't dig their way out Or two, sex is determined by the temperature of the sand, so compaction can result in higher temperatures and disproportionately more female hatchlings. Swimming. We've all heard the mantra of, if it's flooded, forget it. So why are we still seeing road deaths in flooded waters during rain events? When we go to training areas like Townsville High Range or Shoalwater Bay, there are creek crossings. Some are permanent, others are tidal, and others still are seasonal. And believe it or not, Scott has seen vehicles become stranded in each of them. There are a few key things to consider before you conduct a river crossing. How deep is the water? How fast is it flowing? How firm is the riverbed? Are there any deep holes or big boulders to avoid? And what's the exit point condition? All this and more, like prepare your winch, drag chain or snatch strap before you even attempt the crossing. The reason is because if you get stuck, your recovery point will be under two feet of water. When driving through water, it's best to choose low range and second gear. Your aim is to maintain a momentum that just keeps pace with your bow wave. Slow and steady wins this race. Too fast and you can cause engine damage or risk sucking the fan into the radiator. Do not change gears nor apply the brake. Slow down or stop for fear of being flooded. Overloaded. In a galaxy far, far away when the author was a second lieutenant, they were posted as an assistant adjutant and would be routinely stabbed with conducting vehicle accident investigations. They believe that over 50% of the accidents they looked into resulted from someone overloading the number five half-ton trailer. Typically, a trailer full of water jerrys doing a resub. A jerry weighs 22 kilos which means the absolute maximum number that should be placed in the trailer is 22 Jerry's. However, the internal space allowed for 30 or more. So inevitably, that's how they were loaded. This situation placed far too much weight on the tow hitch, which in turn lifted the front axle, which then reduced traction and negated the driver's ability to control the vehicle. Add to this the effects of sway induced at speed and Scott had plenty of vehicle accidents to investigate. Let's face it, when we pack our gear, there's usually a lot of it. And as our US compatriots would say, we're loaded for bear, meaning we've generally brought everything, including the kitchen sink. Overloading a vehicle or driving it too close to its gross vehicle mass makes getting bogged that much easier. And if Scott had a dollar for every time he had to assist with unloading a vehicle, both in Civvy Street and on the job, to make the vehicle lighter for recovery, he'd be a rich man. And he has to say that he's glad his days of unpacking bogged Unimogs are over. Them's the brakes. It's a lot to think about, and we haven't even started to discuss recovery methods or driving on ice. But the examples provided in this article serve to illustrate one overarching requirement, that we need to know ourselves and our vehicle. This is the one true principle of four-wheel driving. Beyond this, it's important to remember that our vehicle's capability and all that recovery gear are there to get us out of trouble, not deeper into it. And if we keep these truisms in mind, we're likely to spend far more time on the move and far less time in a mess. Thanks for listening to this audio article by The Cove. And remember, a smarter you is a smarter army.